Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. everybody you know I do have one of those really relaxed attitudes <laughs> I just realized the guest who's in studio with us on our program this morning and I literally just met downstairs hopped in the elevator coming up And now we are set for what should be a very interesting and hopefully lively discussion as well, because it goes into an area of discussion where on this program, in the many years that I've done it, I don't ever remember us going into any depth on this topic. And when I have mentioned the topic to colleagues here, and other people, since this interview was arranged, I get the, oh, wow, reaction from everybody, everybody, including people who say, well, that should be really interesting. How big a problem is that? Well, stick around. You'll find out. We're going to be talking about the topic of human trafficking. Now, yes, we're going to get into exactly what is meant by that term. And the guest who's in studio with us has a great perspective to bring to the discussion. His name is Raleigh Sadler. That's S-A-D-L-E-R. Uh, Raleigh, in his background since 2001, has served in Christian ministry. Uh, he's the founder and executive director of an organization known as Let My People Go, which is headquartered here in the city. And he's got a lot to share with us on this topic. He's also the author of a new book that is coming out. I literally have a copy of this sitting in front of me. I guess this is officially coming out in February. Um, has the title, Vulnerable. Rethinking Human Trafficking. Raleigh Sadler, first of all, welcome to our program at WFAN. Good morning to you. Good morning. It's nice to have you join us. Now, and I will say thank you because you went through, you had the experience that I had this morning of trying to get here using the subway system. It's just, I don't know what's going on with the subways uh, here. It's... It's just crazy trying to navigate and to get to some place that should be relatively easy, especially at this time on a Sunday morning. Yeah, it was kind of like taking the Oregon Trail this morning. You know, <laughs> it was just like, do I have to get a wagon? Like, how am I going to get from point A to point B? You know, I almost felt like I went to Oregon on my way coming here. Right, <laughs> literally. Right. literally. <laughs> okay. Now, I want to start our discussion with that term 
human trafficking. Because just saying that to people, I got this reaction from everybody. When I say that term to you, what does that mean? You know, it's an interesting term because oftentimes when we hear it, what comes to mind is really our frame of reference, which has been shaped by media, which has been shaped by television, um, Hollywood. And oftentimes the first thing that comes to people's minds, and I'll tell you what I think in a minute, but Mm -hmm. I feel like what I encounter with people is they're like, human trafficking, that's just like the movie Taken. That's when people go on trips and they go to other countries and they're abducted and they're sold for sex. And there's a lot of myths that can work their way into our understanding. And the problem with myths is at the end of the day, if we're, if we're busy looking for them, we're not going to see the reality in front of us. And so I would define human trafficking simply as the exploitation of vulnerability for commercial gain. Now, with human trafficking, you can be trafficked for sex, Mm -hmm. labor, domestic servitude. In developing nations, you can be trafficked for your organs, or children can be forced into soldiering. Um, There are so many ways that someone can be trafficked. But at the end of the day, we have to be very careful as to what is informing our understanding, because whatever is informing it is what we're going to look for. Do we have estimates in terms of numbers as to what we're talking about in terms of the scope of human trafficking? Yeah, yeah. Um, The Global Slavery Index, their 2018 numbers were that there were 40.3 million people held in what amounts to modern-day slavery around the world. Mm -hmm. This is a $150 billion industry with $99 of these funds coming from commercial sexual exploitation while... 51 billion comes from forced labor exploitation. However, forced labor is the predominant form of human trafficking around the world. A $150 billion industry. Absolutely. Wow. Um, just hearing you say that and thinking about those numbers... I guess my first thought is, why don't we hear more about this? You know, it's all kind of where you look, right? Because if we're tuned in, if we're if we're like really like looking for it, we'll we'll hear about it. But oftentimes, it's drowned out by so many other things, mm. and that's that's kind of how most of the maladies that face our society are, right? Like. Mm-hmm certain types of injustice that are impacting certain people over other people, you're not going to hear about if, if you're not looking and, and listening or like, and it's not your fault. It's just, you just may not hear about it. And I think that's the beautiful thing about what's happening right now with human trafficking is people are coming alongside and saying, we're not hearing about this, but we need to. So how do we get this out there? I just had an experience um, last semester in, Another profession that I have where I teach in public speaking classes in a community college in New Jersey. And in a final project, group project, in one of the classes that I was teaching, one of the student groups took on the topic of human trafficking because their assignment is In a group, they have to take an issue or a problem and talk about a way of addressing it or solving it. And they pick the issue or the problem. Mm. Um, They came at this from so many different angles. I was amazed the depth that they went to with their presentation on this. And again, what it did was it brought this to light. Now, you know, the month of January, one of the significant acknowledgments during this month is this is supposed to be Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. It's part of the reason for our discussion uh, today. 
what what level of real awareness do you think we have and what can we do to i guess to kind of improve that you know that's a great question because Every now and then I bump into someone or someone sees something I put online and they'll say, well, you need to know, Raleigh, everyone already knows human trafficking is happening. (laughs) We already know it exists. We're all aware. We don't need more awareness. And I think that's that's half right, because I think to an extent there there is something out there that we know about. But we have misunderstood what the word awareness even means, because we think just because we know something exists, we're aware Awareness is being able to identify and respond to a thing. And you know what? No matter who I talk to, I'm hearing more and more and more that a lot of people don't know how to identify and respond. They may be like, well, I know human trafficking exists, but what does it look like on the day-to-day? Or, or I saw this in my church, or I saw this at the bank today, or I, I saw this when I was shopping at the grocery store how do I respond? And, and is that human trafficking? What, you know, it's like people are, I think there are many really well-meaning people and they want to do something. But I think by and large, by that definition of awareness, a lot of people are not aware of human trafficking. So the significance of acknowledging that during this month, how does that help the effort? I think acknowledging that we are not aware but we we could be and we should be and we can be like i think that helps that helps the movement that helps the effort to end human trafficking because we set ourselves on a course of realizing you know what i need to grow in this area and so i challenge people i say you know okay set google alerts you know, for human trafficking in your neighborhood. Go to websites like the Polaris Project, polarisproject.org. Learn about the issue. Read books on human trafficking. Do what you can to know how to identify and respond. And as we do that, we're going to start to find ourselves seeing it everywhere. A friend of mine calls it this. She says it's a divine ruination. She says, there's this moment where you begin to see it everywhere you look, and it kind of ruins you in a way, but it's in a good way, because at the end of the day, you're able to help your fellow person, the person, your, your neighbor, your vulnerable neighbor who's living in your midst, but, but you haven't noticed. Mm-hmm. Mm. So they're, basically, they're hidden. Absolutely. And most people are hidden in plain sight. Mm. And as you say that, one of the thoughts naturally turns to young people who were involved in human trafficking. Are a lot of them falling in that category of being hidden in plain sight? Absolutely. Generally, it's the people <laughs> it's the people that everyone when I'll talk to people, they're like, "We need to go rescue." Mm-hmm. The girls, or we need to save the. There's this rescue mentality that kind of crops up, you know, and and it's interesting because oftentimes the people that need to be delivered from this life are often the people that we ignore or don't want to come into contact with. They're the people that when we see them on the street, we look at them as perpetrators and not victims. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who are trafficked are vulnerable populations. This vulnerable may be per- or this vulnerability may be perpetuated by a stigma, um, or physical issues, cultural issues, what have you. But oftentimes, when we think about those who are vulnerable to human trafficking, you will find youth who are at risk, those who are runaways. Um, you will find those in the immigrant community, whether they have documentation or not, traffickers typically don't care. You know, you will find um, those in the LGBTQI community Mm -hmm. who are trafficked disproportionately, I would argue, in major cities like New York. You know, you find people that may have gotten a, a 
bum deal from society, people who aren't heard. And these are the people that traffickers target because why not? Traffickers are not going to look for people who are surrounded by a healthy community and they have people looking in on them. They're going for people who are in the margins. They're going for people on the fringe. And oftentimes they love it when we have issues of politics that, or, or certain beliefs that color our understanding of that group to where we see that person as a victimizer rather than a victim. Traffickers love that because we're not going to notice when that person's trafficked. Basically, it gives them, it's helping to provide them with an entree. Absolutely. All right. Um, it's like the door has been opened. Yeah. Um, and in many cases, you know, the people that you're talking about, to a large extent, are almost viewed as throwaways. And I hate that term. But, yeah, me too. But, it, but, it's, but it, it. it's, that's the reality of what we are talking about. We can talk a lot more about this topic, and I'll mention the fact, too, that folks who are listening to us can join us in the discussion if you're on point with uh, some of the things that are being raised by Raleigh Sadler, who is in studio with us today. He's founder, executive director of the organization Let My People Go. We'll talk more about the nonprofit and also about his upcoming book. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. We're in a discussion on the topic of human trafficking. This month of January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Appropriately enough, in studio with us, Raleigh Sadler. As I mentioned at the beginning of our program, Raleigh is founder, executive director of the New York-based nonprofit Let My People Go. He's also the author of a new book that is coming out entitled Vulnerable, Rethinking Human Trafficking. You want to join us in our discussion, 877-337-6666 is our topic, is our phone number here at WFAN. And, you know, again... Um, as we're talking, I'm also thinking about this idea of awareness and sometimes a reticence on the part of people to talk about some topics. Does human trafficking also follow it, fall into that? Yeah, I think for many people, there is a reticence to talk about human trafficking because it's, it's almost a dirty word mm, to some people. Mm. So how do you get people past that? You know, you show them that it's ultimately impacting people that they love, whether they know it or not, or people that they see, people that they come across their paths on a daily to weekly basis. This isn't something that's just hidden in the dark recesses of certain people's minds, or it's hidden in certain developing nations. I mean, cases have been reported in every country as well as every state. It's not even, it's not just happening over there. It's, it's happening right here. It's happening in our backyard and it's impacting people like you and me. It's happening literally in the city where we're sitting right now. Absolutely. In the borough where we're sitting right now. Absolutely. And every other borough. Yes. And the suburbs. Yes. It's so interesting because when people, every now and then, someone will come up to me and we'll be talking about this and they'll say, you know what, Raleigh, we don't have human trafficking where <laughs> I live because we don't live near a major highway. We don't live near a port. We don't live near a border. We don't, we don't live near a city. We can't possibly have human trafficking. And I say, yeah, but um, are there vulnerabilities in your community? Is there anyone who is vulnerable to anything? And when I use this term vulnerability, I'm basically f referring to people who are experiencing the sheer pain of an unmet need, whether that need be mental, whether that need be physical, psychological, emotional, financial, um, cultural even. Is there someone experiencing an unmet need to the point where they could be exploited by someone who may have just a little bit more power than they do, mm -hmm. just a little bit more influence than they do. And then generally these people say, you know what, yes, 
And I said, so if you have people who may have less power than others, you're going to have people who are trafficked. You're going to have people who are exploited. And that's honestly why in the way that I approach human trafficking, I try to get people to see vulnerability first. Because if we begin to love vulnerable populations in our community, we love our, and I'm going to refer to them as neighbors because I feel like this humanizes people. This points to the dignity that each human being has regardless of their station in life. When we look at our homeless neighbors, our immigrant neighbors, our neighbors who are in single-parent households, our neighbors who are impacted by incarceration, when we look at our LGBTQI neighbors, when we look at people who have really just experienced marginalization and experienced brokenness, when we look at them as humans, we're finding people who could be trafficked, who are trafficked, and who have been trafficked. When we look at people like those I've mentioned or people who are just looking for love and acceptance, people who are just looking to fit in, when we look at them, we're finding, when we engage in their vulnerability, we're finding that we're doing the work of prevention, intervention, and aftercare all in one fell swoop because we don't know where people are on this continuum of vulnerability. So again, it's getting people past the us versus them mentality. Absolutely. You know, the moment that we stop viewing people as victimizers Mm. and realize their personhood and realize that, (laughs) you know, I say it like this, those who are victimized through human trafficking are often hidden in plain sight right behind our assumptions. So when we look at a guy on the street or a woman on the street and we say, oh, that person's just a bum. Well, who are we to infer that it's their lack of work ethic that's put them on the street, especially when the statistics show that trauma is a leading cause of homelessness? When we see some, I was speaking at a place once and I asked people, where do you think people are trafficked? And this gentleman said, you know, I don't know where all the sex trafficked girls are, but man, I know where I know where the prostitutes are and whoo, boy, are they rough. I cringed. I, I could because you don't know, and I don't use the term prostitute. I will say someone is prostituted because I believe that oftentimes this is something that is acted upon the person. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking you don't know her story. You don't know about her or his upbringing. Mm -hmm. You don't know what that person has gone through, and you're inferring this, and you're giving yourself a pass to not engage this person. Mm. So in founding the organization that you did, why did you start it? You know, it's interesting because... When I heard about let my, or when I heard about human trafficking, I was at a conference. It was a Christian conference, and there was like forty six thousand people in Phillips Arena in Atlanta. And I heard that if we want to be part of the solution, we have to first realize that we're part of the problem. You know, a lot of us. We're pointing people to a freedom that we haven't experienced. And whether we know it or not, our own desires to cover up our own vulnerability can often lead to the exploitation of others. And what I mean by that is we create a demand for exploitation. Human trafficking hinges on the law of supply and demand. If we want it, people will supply it. And so... When we think to ourselves, you know what? I wake up and I need clothing. I'm vulnerable without clothing. I need something. It doesn't even have to be the best clothing, but I need something to cover my body or it's going to get awkward at best. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm looking at my bank account and I can't afford the nicest clothes. So I buy the cheapest pair of pants that I can find that look, you know, 
moderately good so I don't get laughed off the train. Well, when we look at fast fashion or we look at things like this, ultimately the question we're not asking is who's paying the total cost because to give us what we need, oftentimes someone is not going to be paid fair wages. At some point in the supply chain of the clothing we wear, there's slavery. Um, same goes for the food we eat, the fish that we get out of our grocer's freezer, the, the chocolate bar that we eat at lunch, the rice that we're eating, the beef that we're eating, the Egyptian cotton sheets that we wake up on. Often, a lot of these things have been touched by slavery, even the elements that are in, in my iPhone. You know, we have to start thinking, what is the footprint that we're leaving? And so for me, it hit me, man, I'm creating demand. And, and not to mention the entertainment that we're looking at. Like when, I mean, I don't know the statistics offhand, but I do know that pornography is consumed at um, such rapid rates that even non-religious entities are saying we're almost in a health crisis. <laughs> you know, it's that bad. And the more we consume, the more we're telling people this is what we want. This is what we want to take action on. And oftentimes, a lot of those involved in pornography didn't necessarily want to be there. Many of my friends who were trafficked for sex were recorded, and, and that is online, and that has been used to coerce them and that kind of thing. So realizing that we're part of the problem will ultimately free us to be part of the solution. And I get involved because I realized there were a lot of well-meaning churches, and I was a pastor at the time. There were a lot of well-meaning churches that didn't know where to start. And I said, you know what, this is a world I know. I want to engage this population and really help them do this in a way that helps people and doesn't hurt them. And the reaction of churches to being part of this? You know, it's interesting. Um, some churches, it's a mixed bag. Mm. Because I'll go into some churches and they are excited. They see the issue. The leadership is like, yes. We need to do something about this. But then I've been in some churches where people have walked out and said, you know what, we don't need to be hearing about this. This doesn't happen in our community. This is just too negative. And, and you have to understand, the way I address human trafficking is when I come at it from a, because I am a Christian minister, I come at it from a perspective of hope, believing that Jesus Christ, God in whom I profess, is bringing a kingdom that's going to fix a broken world. And so when I go into a Christian church, I'm preaching that and saying, you know what, things are bad, but we can trust that things will be made right. But God wants to use his people to love the community and serve the community. And at the end of the day, all of us, when we're hearing something for the first time or sometimes for the fourth or fifth time, if we're scared to do it, it might be a tougher sell, but that's why I like to show people that this could impact anyone, including people that they love. Hmm. What's one of the biggest, for lack of a better term, aha moments that there has been when you've been showing someone exactly what you're talking about? You know, it's like the light bulb went on over their heads. There's a website that I encourage people to look at just to see the wake that they leave behind because of their purchasing patterns. Mm -hmm. You know, our consumption can drive exploitation. That's how we create demand. And I have them look at a website, which is basically a survey. It's called slaveryfootprint.org. And you go on and you fill out, a you answer several questions. And they say, you know, how many electronics do you have in a home? You know, what types of food do you eat? What types of clothing do you have? And you kind of work through this kind of cool little survey. 
And then it shows you how many slaves are most likely working for you to give you the life that you enjoy. And, you know, there are people who I've met who are the nicest, sweetest people, and they're like, Raleigh, 116 slaves work for me, you know? And what's interesting is it's this aha moment to where they're like, I'm participating in this. And, and so when people have that moment, I'm very quick to say, you know what? Do not feel like you have to change everything about yourself right now because you're not going to do that in the long, long term. But maybe, maybe do a project for the next six months. Buy fair trade chocolate rather than Hershey's. Or buy, buy fair trade coffee or go to a place where the coffee is sourced in a way where those who are producing it are paid fair wages. Um, don't consume pornography or, or pour into a culture of like exploitation. Let's maybe talk to that person that you wouldn't talk to on a daily basis. You know, like try to get people to think through not only their issues, but allow that to propel them into the issues of others. Interesting discussion that we we're having on the topic of human trafficking. You want to join us in the discussion? 877-337-6666 is our number here at WFAN. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We're in a discussion on the topic of human trafficking. Yep, that's our topic on our program this morning. Raleigh Sadler is in studio with us. Raleigh is the founder and executive director of nonprofit organization Let My People Go, which is also has a website. Would you mention the website for us, please? Yes, it's lmpgnetwork.org. So that's LMPG Network, all is one word, .org. There's a wealth of information there as well. In our discussion, Raleigh is also the author of a book we'll be talking about entitled Vulner Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. We'll get into talking about that as well. And I mentioned the fact that what we try to do in this discussion is to see if we can work in some thoughts from some of the folks who are listening to us. Um, again, because... I'm always, you know, you put out a topic like human trafficking, and I've learned from doing this show, and I've been doing this show for 25 years. You never know exactly what the response is going to be on a topic like this. Sometimes we get inundated. Other times when I expect we'll be inundated, people kind of shy away from the topic. So... I'm trying to put this out there uh, for folks who are listening to us. Don't be shy. People need to talk about this. This is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. You want to join us in the discussion, 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. And let's start on the phone. We'll go first over to uh, Bob in Little Ferry, New Jersey. Robert, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Good morning, good morning. And uh, Raleigh, good morning to you. Good morning. I've been listening to uh, Bob for those 25 years and participated in quite a few uh, uh, conversations with him about different topics. This one is really, uh, like Bob said, is really um, one that you don't hear much about. Uh, I have a couple of questions for you, Raleigh. Number one, I'm going to call them the thieves. How do the thieves recognize the vulnerable people? Uh, in other words, I know you touched on it a little bit, but are the, the vulnerable people, are they followed? Are they targeted? In other words, how exactly does that happen? I think that's a great question. Thank you so much for asking it. It's interesting because I would compare, um, as you call them, thieves or like, traffickers, those who would be would-be exploiters, I would compare them to sharks in the water, right? You know, a shark can sense vulnerability by sensing blood in the water, and they know what to do when they find that wounded animal or person they attack. And I think a trafficker, they know what to look for. They know how to discover if 
a young woman or a young man may have a low view of self or need acceptance and need affirmation, so they, they give it to them. They, they know how to find people who may need material goods like, like housing or clothing or may need food, and they say, hey, you know what, I, I can get you something to eat. You know, they start meeting needs. Mm -hmm. What a lot of people don't know about traffickers is oftentimes traffickers will come at people from a perspective of being a friend and meeting needs. They're not always these monsters who immediately kidnap people. Oftentimes they groom people because they know that that's the most sustainable way for them to exploit someone for a longer period of time. That was my second question, because my next question would be, uh, you know, because of what we see in the movies and things like that, are the uh, people grabbed off the street, or in some cases, because of what you just explained, do they go willingly because, and here's the reason I give, because how can it be any worse than it is now? And if they're talked into by one of these people, they go willingly, so there's is it true that not everybody gets grabbed, that some of these people actually go willingly, wondering what, what's going on? Yeah, oftentimes traffickers will not advertise that they're trafficking someone. A lot of people mm -hmm. who are trafficked, they think, oh, well, I'm just in a, a job that I don't love. You know, my manager's telling me to do this, and, and he's holding my passport because he says that that's what they do with the organization. And so these people are not stupid people, but they're looking at it saying, Maybe this is just what happens at this job. Or, you know what, um, someone's saying, my, my girlfriend or boyfriend or my husband, they love me, but, you know, we have some issues. You know, I've talked to, talked to many people who, um, one young lady in, in particular, she said, you know, I was married to a guy, but he sold me on Backpage.com. And people would come... And he would be in the living room while I would be with a client. And I still don't understand how my husband could do that. And so, yeah, it's people could be kidnapped. And I believe that does happen. But by and large, people are trafficked by someone that they know, someone that they trust. Mm -hmm. It's not always stranger danger. It's someone that, in many cases, traffickers and those that they traffic are from the same communities. Uh, another question, uh, have you ever interviewed anyone who has, quote-unquote, escaped and explained to you exactly what happened to them? In other words, once these people become trafficked and they're, they're in the situation that they wind up in, do people still have the courage and or the, the know-how to say, gee, this didn't work out the way I thought it was, or what am I doing here? I, I don't want to do this. And have they been able to, quote-unquote, escape, and then, therefore, uh, could you guys get a hold of them and let them explain to you exactly what happened to them? Yes, absolutely. Uh, many people, as a matter of fact. But we have to really look at this word escape from a new angle because escaping mm -hmm. human trafficking is not necessarily leaving point A and going to point B. The journey is a lot longer. It's a lot more convoluted. And you're dealing with trauma. And so oftentimes people are realizing because they have healthy people in their lives who are saying, hey, a, a true boyfriend or a true husband would never treat his wife that way. They would never share them. You should, you should think about that. We love you. We're here for you. But we want you to think about this. And I, I've had a lot of friends who it took the intervention of, a caring friend who would just listen to them and say, you know what, you are worth more than that. You are cared for. And, and it began a relationship which may have taken three years for my friend to mm -hmm. finally get out. But I found whether it's for sex, labor, or domestic servitude, it's in a context of relationships. It's through relationships that people can escape the present reality that they're in. But this is a long journey for many because it's not like I mentioned the movie Taken earlier. I think a lot of us will see like, we see Liam Neeson in that role and it's a fine action film. I love it. I'm a big fan of Liam Neeson. He's, I've seen it at least a half a dozen times myself. It's an myself. amazing movie. 
It's an incredible movie. But at the end of the day, he has a particular set of skills. We may not have them, mm-hmm. but we see him rescuing this person. And here's the deal. Rescue looks differently because for us to be part of someone's rescue from this situation, we have to realize that may take five to ten years where they're calling us and saying, hey, you know, um, will you take me to the doctor? Will you um, meet with me with my social worker? Will um, you help me go get groceries? Like when people are getting away from an exploiter, one, this is something that these people have to decide on their own. Oftentimes, I've talked to people and they're like, well, I was in this context and we, we were part of getting people out of this situation, but they just went back because they're still imprisoned in their mind. Until mm-hmm. you right. point them to inner freedom, they're not going to experience the outward expressions of it. You know, the last thing, Raleigh, if I could... You mentioned that it's a $150 billion business. I mean, that this, this is incredible, staggering. Absolutely. The one thing I'd like to leave you with is this. The people involved in the trafficking, have they no conscience? I mean, I understand you want to steal a car. Uh, you're a crook. You're a white-collar crime person. Uh, all awful things that you could do. How can these people... They're worse than, I can't even think of anybody, any human being worse than these people that do that. And apparently they get paid uh, when they produce bodies. Uh, they have no conscience. I mean, what kind of people are these? That They, are, they have to be the, the dreck of, of life, the people that steal people. I mean, I can't believe it. Well, the thing that horrifies me about human trafficking is, a lot of those who are involved, a lot of those who are traffickers, they're people like you and I. And um, my mom's from Chicago, so I grew up with these stories about the mafia and things like this. And my mom would tell me these stories. She, she would say, you know, the people who were committing the murders were the same people who were in mass on Sunday. Um, a friend of mine who, since I'm on the mafia kick... A friend of mine who was undercover in one of the big New York crime families years ago, he told me, he said, you know, that the crazy thing was, was the guy I worked for, the people in the neighborhood trusted him more than they did the police. And he was exploiting the neighborhood, but he also cared for them. And so what's weird is oftentimes traffickers are going to be the most gregarious outwardly caring human beings you've ever seen. And that's why people fall prey to it because they're actually giving people a thing that they don't normally get. But that thing that they're getting, whether it's affection, whether it's food, whether it's clothing, whether it's a sense of family, it comes at a cost. And so oftentimes with traffickers, there is a deep, deep narcissism that's at play. There is a me before you approach there is a lack of empathy but oftentimes just like a trafficker or someone who's trafficked can be anyone a trafficker can be anyone well uh, i'll i'll tend to disagree with you on that last part because i will never ever be able to understand how they can do something in their conscience uh, unless they they got someone and treated them like royalty maybe I would sway a little bit there, but apparently that's not the case because these are victims that are taken and uh, they have no life or they they can't even be independent anymore. They rely totally on a trafficker and right. to have the courage to escape is would be terrific. Absolutely. Thank you very much, no, thank uh, you. gentlemen. Bob, thank you for your call. Sure. Okay. Good questions this morning as well. If you are listening and want to join us in this discussion, don't be shy. 877-337-6666. That's our number here at the fan. You know, I don't necessarily love going the, for lack of a better term, sports angle. But I'm going to put the question out there because I've been thinking about this before our discussion today and during this talk. And WFAN was the country's first all-sports radio station. 
It's a whole lot of people who are sports fans who listen to WFAN. A lot of them listen to this program on a regular basis. Is there, for lack of a better term, a sports angle that also works into the discussion on human trafficking? You know, it's interesting. In 2011, the Attorney General of Texas said a statement that was basically it's kind of like a shot heard around the world. He said the Super Bowl is the largest instance of human trafficking in America. And um, this has been hotly debated and contested since. And I've talked to many people who will, they will say, well, human trafficking is terrible and it's, it's horrible that it happens at the Super Bowl and at major sporting events. I think it can happen at major sporting events. This is my take. Um, because there are people at major sporting events, and then there will be more demand. But there will be more demand for all sorts of nefarious activities, human trafficking, but drugs trafficking, arms trafficking. Wherever there's people, there's going to be people who desire certain things. Now, I think what we have with major sporting events is a one-day snapshot of a 365-day reality. This is something that happens every day, 24-7, and it's in our communities. It's not just in Atlanta where the Super Bowl will be played, you know. And so I think we have to know that because unless we get that, unless we understand that, then, again, we're going to give ourselves a pass. But it's, it's been interesting for me because as I've been in my journey kind of doing what I've doing, done, I've... I've kind of bumped up against people who are sports personalities mm-hmm. who really care about this issue. Like um, recently I was on a panel discussion in Washington, D.C. with Kevin Malone, the former L.A. Dodgers manager. And he has since started an organization bent on fighting human trafficking. Um, I've also, this might have been the, more intriguing meeting that I've had in a long time. I, I got to sit across from Albert Pujols and talk about this mm. and see him and his wife and their passion and to see how they took that passion to Major League Baseball and encouraged Major League Baseball to do something about slavery. And they started a program called Strikeout Slavery. You know, I've there are people who are working hard to see this impacted because they know human beings go to sporting events and sometimes traffickers can exploit that. But at the end of the day, it's happening everywhere. All right. We're going to talk more about this and we'll also try to work in more thoughts from folks listening to us. We also have to talk about the book. Raleigh Sadler's talking with us on our program on the fan this morning. And we're talking about the topic of human trafficking. You know, there have been times when I've just said, good morning, Alexa, and all of a sudden the fan starts playing. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Bob. How does that happen? After 7.30 this morning, the NFL preview is along. Of course, Pro Bowl is on the fan a little bit later today. Sports Edge follows our 8 o'clock update. After our 9 o'clock update, Football Sunday program on WFAN. And we are in a discussion on the topic of human trafficking. This month of January, Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Raleigh Sadler is in studio with us. Uh, He is founder, executive director of Let My People Go. Uh, on the web at lmpgnetwork.org. And um, we've been trying to work in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us. We also have to talk about your book entitled Vulnerable, Rethinking Human Trafficking. The book is officially coming out in February. We'll get into that, but let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666 is our number. Bill in uh, Highlands has been waiting for a while. Bill, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Hey, good morning. Can you hear me okay? We can hear you just mm-hmm. fine. Thank you. 
Great. Yeah, this is a really interesting topic. Uh, it, it was really, you know, I found it very unexpectedly this morning. I was up early cleaning up my office, and and there it was, you know. And um, uh, it, it, it's very interesting because you, it's it's uh, as you said, it's not something that people jump in on. It's an uncomfortable subject, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, you made it very relatable to me when you talked about. You know, people uh, working for slave labor, and you know how many slave, how many, I mean, how many incidents of slavery am I supporting by my unconscious purchasing habits? And that really, uh, really landed for me. And uh, it's just something you know you don't want to think about it. You know, okay. you don't want to consider it. But then you un- you begin to understand it. You see it in context. So uh, it did it did land for me when you said that. And. Um, you know, I wanted to uh, to mention, you know, the perspective, uh, Raleigh, the perspective I, I would imagine that you have is a kind of a Christian perspective on this. You're trying to appeal to people's, uh, I mean, is that fair to say your perspective is, is a Christian one? Are you a minister or would you be would yes, you related? Yes, yes, absolutely. And yeah. it, it's definitely shaped by um, my, my Christian views and my understanding right. of that. Yes, absolutely. Well, well, right. I happen to be a Buddhist. So uh, I, I wanted to actually throw a little bit of uh, light on the on a Buddhist perspective of this, that and this may also kind of open it up to the universality of this. Um, right. In the in the, the we we in, in the Buddhist model, we live in a, a ten worlds, all the way from hell all the way up to Buddhahood. You know, different uh, life conditions, some very negative, some very positive. And one of them along the way, a very low, a low uh, world to live in, is the world of animality, where the strong dominate the weak. And it's not as if you know we, everybody is any, you know, we're all above this and operating in the highest. And I'm sure you, as a Christian, can relate. You know, we're not always up in the, you know, up in the Jesus Christ range, you know, operating in life. But we're sometimes down in the lower worlds. And this is this is universal. This is just you know all humans uh, you know pass through these worlds from time to time where they're you know dominating the weak and and this is just a very egregious example of it. The one that you're describing, Raleigh, where you know people are you know, become enslaved in that system. But we're all we're it's in all of us. You know we have a tendency to actually um, you know uh, you know uh, really don't see the humanity in people, take advantage of the weak, uh, try to work our will on people, get what we want. Without really being concerned whether or not uh, people are going to be getting uh, their their just uh, due from it, you know. So uh, is, this, is this any of this landing right now? I'm not really sure. I'm speaking into a into the vacuum right now. But uh, is this making sense? What I'm saying? Oh, it's making sense a hundred percent. And I think okay, I think for a lot of us, we have to understand that traffickers don't pick and choose, and traffickers are ultimately trafficking people of all world religions. And so right. I love how you are looking at this through the lens of your religious beliefs and allowing that mm-hmm. to kind of fuel you to love your neighbor. Yeah, exactly. And um, and Bob, I just want to say that you know you've got a great program here. I, I don't listen to it every week, but you know when you when you when you think about you know sport, I listen to the sports you know uh, channel you know every day you know, mm-hmm. in the afternoon. But, you know, you really, uh, when you, like kind of the ridiculous to the sublime, you know, sports in and of itself, let's be honest, you know, even though I'm a Patriots fan, sports are kind of meaningless. You know, it's great that when our team wins and all, but it really doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, but on the other hand, you're able to bring in some, you know, really wonderful topics that uh, engage people uh, in their lives. And I think that's really fantastic, Bob. So thanks for that. Thank you very much for your comments and also for your kind words, too, and for listening. Thank you, Bill. Alrighty. All right, gentlemen, thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. Well. Thank you. Let's go next to Steve in Connecticut. Steve, good morning. Thanks for holding on. Welcome to the fan. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I uh, just want to commend by these guys that are, especially the second guy, the guy before this guy, talking about uh, how passionate he was about asking questions and how he, you know, how he really was heartfelt. And how I feel, kid, is some of these, some of these people are listening these traffickers are listening, I'll tell them what I think. I think they should all be personally ashamed of themselves. That's number one. Mm-hmm. If it was up to me, kid, I wish they were all eradicated from the world, kid, because they're just mm. bad people, kid. Bad people to do bad things and don't deserve to be among us. That's how I feel. Yeah. And uh, how could you do something like that? Spend your life doing bad deeds like that. You mm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just have no sympathy for these 
bad people. They just don't belong amongst us. I'm sorry. Okay. But for all these other callers, you know, I never called this station. You know, I've been listening for years. I never called because I enjoy listening and, you know, but something this morning about the the, the caller prior to this one, the the, the older gentleman. You know, everything was heartfelt and, and that's why I called. Because I think he feels like I do, but I'm just going to be a little bit more direct. You know, it's interesting. I was speaking with um, someone who used to be President Barack Obama's ambassador at large to combat and monitor human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of interviewing him, and he was a prosecutor. He broke some of the biggest cases in the country on human trafficking at an early point and was able to really shape um, our policy as a nation. And as I was talking to Ambassador Luis Debaca, he said that some say that mercy to the guilty is cruelty to the innocent. And that's always stuck with me, that if we don't have justice, yeah. if rule of law is not imported and those who are committing these crimes don't they don't go to jail or they aren't prosecuted then this this will continue this will continue going i mean we must have justice and and as we are depending on law enforcement to do that i think our job for those of us who aren't in law enforcement or who aren't in social services or aren't running nonprofits as we're loving our vulnerable neighbors, especially from the perspective of prevention, we're caring for people who could be trafficked as well as people who like may grow up to be traffickers and they may be groomed to be traffickers. If we're engaging vulnerable people now, we're able to curb this before it starts. And, and I think that can be a beautiful thing because at the end of the day, I mean – yeah, I would say justice is giving people what they deserve, whether that's care or punishment. And I, I, I hear you a hundred percent. I'm, I'm thankful. Never, I'm thankful for you saying that. Well, I'm just saying that I'm a good person, kid. I'm sixty years old. I've never mm-hmm. been in trouble. I've never done anything wrong. But when I hear things like this, kid, you know, yeah, I sometimes wish maybe I was on the other side and then and, and take care of these traffickers myself. You know, they just deserve nothing better than to just be eradicated, like I said. And yeah, I, I, I understand. Steve, Hello. thank you very much for your uh, call, your patience on the phone as well this morning. And Bob, all I want to say is you're terrific. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, you guys take care. Thank right. you. You too. Thank you. All right, next up we go to Harry in Cape Cod. Harry, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Morning. Hey, um, you, you, this is so bad. We know that. But you don't go to the essence of why this is. And one of the main reasons that we have these problems, human trafficking, undocumented work, is, is because the government set up a system and then we don't use it anymore. It's called the Social Security system. It's called the um, Social Security identification card. No one's required to use it to be employed. No one's required to have it. No one's required to show it. So what happened after 1984 when the federal government denied guaranteeing the, you know, the legal right to make sure that everyone had a Social Security number? Now it's supposed to be done by the employer. Now you've got all this stuff happening. No one even goes to the essence of how this is. We've we got an Internet society now. We should be able to track every individual. I hate to say it. I don't want to be tracked. You don't want to be tracked. But we can't just let people run around with no Social Security numbers and just ex- and, and then just try to fight everything off. We've got to go back to the basics, establish who we are. Then we'll know who the bad people are and the good people. It seems like the good people made it better for the bad people to, to propagate all their actions. Yeah, it's... I hear you. Hello? I hear you. Absolutely. I think that's a good point. And that is, that does impact a certain vulnerable population who is trafficked because without, without the, the card, there is, 
there was a lack of representation. In New York City, one thing Mayor de Blasio did was issue New York City IDs. And what was interesting about these New York City IDs was they were um, something for those who may be undocumented in the city to have some form of identification to where they could get a bank account, to where they could go somewhere and show this ID even if they weren't a citizen. And what was what was interesting about that was that made them a little less vulnerable to the lures of a trafficker. Please, listen to me. All you people, don't walk around it. The, the Blasio issuing cards from the city. It's the government's responsibility. We want to know who's here. And if you're here, you need a Social Security number. If you don't have a Social Security number, and, and, and no one says it, why, why don't they say it? Because they want all this cheap labor. With cheap labor, you get these these bad things happening. It's true. We 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 need to help America. Yeah. Everyone, Republicans, Democrats. It's why don't they say when they say, "Oh, we're going to want better uh, border security." All you need for better border security is a Social Security number. You don't need an ID from the state, an ID from the city. You need an ID from the federal government. That's why we created the federal government. Harry, point, no, point noted. I think you've stated it very well, very strongly. We appreciate your passion. Well, passion. Thank you. We've got to run here. All righty. Um, interesting discussion. Nice input from folks listening to us as well. We'll talk more with Raleigh Sadler as we continue. We're talking about this topic of human trafficking. Sports Edge follows our 8 o'clock update. I'm Bob Solter. We're in a discussion with Raleigh Sadler on our program. Raleigh is founder and executive director of an organization that's a nonprofit, Let My People Go, on the web at lmpgnetwork. That's all as one word, dot org. And he is also the author of a book that I want to talk about. It's entitled Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. You were kind enough to. Put a copy of this book literally right in front of me. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about. So, vulnerable kind of shares my story as I was trying to figure out. Well, how do I fight human trafficking? I mean, I, I wear a cardigan, so I'm probably not going to kick down the door of a brothel. What does it look like? For You're not. Me? Probably not. And so, what does it look like for me to engage this issue? As myself, and I think there's many of us. We are not in law enforcement. We're not in social services. We're not running nonprofits, and we're thinking, well, this is such a big issue. How do we engage? How do we actually get skin in the game? And that is the really what I, I kind of lead with in this book is that any of us can do something because all of us have a voice, and all of us have something to say. All of us have a story to be shared. And as we look for vulnerable populations, it's easy once we we know what to look for, and I talk about that in the book, who is most vulnerable to human trafficking, and I've already mentioned some of these populations. Once we begin looking for these people, we'll begin seeing them everywhere, and then we can engage, but that's only one half of it. Yes, we should look for vulnerability, but we should also look from vulnerability. If we don't see our own vulnerability and our own issues and our own brokenness and the fact that we have something very critical in common with the people that we're trying to help, if we don't see that, then it's very easy to, though well-meaning, it's very easy to end up exploiting the very people that we're trying to help. It's very easy to treat them as lesser than. And what I love about this idea of shared vulnerability, even though our issues may differ, we're all one medical emergency away from being on the streets. And so, as we engage someone, rather than saying, let me reach down and help you up, we can say, you know what, we're on the same level. Our issues may differ, but we have issues. So how can we walk alongside of you as you try to think through 
how to grow as a person. And so, yes, for me, this book is about how vulnerability plays into human trafficking and how one thing that can lead to the exploitation of others, you know, someone's vulnerability, that can also lead to that person's freedom. And, yeah. So what's your, I mean, what is it that you're hoping is going to come from the publication of this book, the release of this book, and it officially comes out next month. It's so it's so exciting because this book is coming from my perspective as a Christian, and I really want to show a historical Christian response to human trafficking in this book. Now, whether you're a believer or not, it will show you kind of what it what it should and could look like, and I want people. Regardless of whether they believe like me or not, if they read the book, I really want them to realize they can do something today. And so at the very end of the book, we have a hundred things that you can do right now to fight human trafficking. It, we give a very practical um, sheet, really, to say, you are not powerless. You are able to encourage others who could be exploited right now. Mm. That's a very powerful statement as well. Is there a role, and we've only got about a minute or so left here in the program, is there a role for the formal education process in promoting awareness about human trafficking? Absolutely. In other words, should this is this a topic that should be addressed in schools? Yes. And you know what? I'm hearing more and more, especially from people who are going to colleges, that they're like, oh, I took a course on human trafficking. Mm-hmm. That wasn't around when I started. And so it's slowly but surely happening. It's happening in some public high schools. I mean, people, yeah, it's, it's slowly but surely getting out there. Well, it's a topic we'll certainly be watching this month of January, Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Raleigh Sadler in the studio with us, founder, executive director of Let My People Go on the web at LMPG Network. That's all as one word, dot O-R-G. He is also the author of this new book that is officially coming out in the month of February. It's entitled Vulnerable, Rethinking Human Trafficking. Thank you very much for uh, coming in, joining us in the discussion. As I imagined, it was a very lively discussion. I'm glad we were also able to include some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us. Thank you. Certainly good luck continued with your work. Yeah, thank you. Very interesting uh, chat. After our 9 o'clock update this morning, Football Sunday program along with Malusis and Deal. Sports Edge follows our 8 o'clock update. And by the way, Starting next Sunday, we roll from 6 to 8 o'clock. Oh, yeah. Back to the two-hour shows. And we got a doozy of one for you then. You knew I wouldn't disappoint you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.